How is it going? This is Zach Peters. Welcome to another podcast. Today we are talking about the almost Christian beliefs of younger millennials and older Gen Zers. Before we dive in, I just want to say thank you for listening or for watching. Please subscribe, share, rate, review. All of these things help me out a little bit. If you appreciate this, if you get something from it, that's just one way to let me know how I'm doing and to show some appreciation that way. I'm always looking to get better, so if you have uh, constructive criticism or feedback, let me know, and maybe I'll listen to it, maybe I won't, but at least you can communicate with me or talk to me. So let's jump in. Uh, Today's talk is basically found from uh, Barna's study on Gen Z and Kenda Creasy-Dean's Almost Christian Book, and basically there are a couple of phrases which represent popular uh, normative cultural beliefs and views of of a certain segment of the population that exists today, and and these beliefs sound good on the surface. They're, they they almost sound like really nice things and nice principles to live by, but it, at a closer inspection, especially if you are Christian, we realize that they are almost Christian, and the almost matters. The way I like to think about it is that if you are starting a long journey and you're heading a a direction in a straight line, if you head that direction and you're off just an inch at the very beginning, by the time you get to where you belong, you will be miles off from where you intended to be. And so the almost matters, and these are almost Christian beliefs. Let's go with the first one right now. And and I don't have a lot of time to break these down in some big book or anything like that. I just read these phrases and um, some thoughts popped into my head, and I just want to share those thoughts and concerns with you about these phrases. Phrase number one, a God exists who created and orders the world and watches over life on earth. A God exists who created and orders the world and watched over or watches over life on earth. The first problem that I see with this phrase, because again, it seems like it might be right. Uh, God created something, but there is a problem with it. Uh, the, the phrase is one with little g God, little g God. There is uh, a, a big g God, and there's a difference between little g God and big g God. And if you don't know, the reason why you capitalize the g when referring to the Christian God is not because it's some sort of tradition, but because the capital G represents a proper name, the name of God, which in Scripture and in the primary languages that Scripture was writ- written in, it was Yahweh or even Jehovah. Yahweh and Jehovah, and these names have meaning. They have significance. They are special. They are unique to the, the, to the Christian God or even the Hebrew God. And so you're not just capitalizing G because you're, you want your God to be special. God, capital G, represents Yahweh or Jehovah, the Christian God. And so you capitalize proper names with good English. That's just how it works. And so we know something about this God. We know that it's not a little g God. We know it is a very specific God found in Scripture, revealed through Scripture, revealed through the relationship uh, with Him. We can know something about Him. We can know how He works. We can know His purpose and His vision and His strategy to connect us back to Him. We know something about this God. All right, the second problem I see with this statement is that it sort of seems like uh, deism. And if you don't know what deism is, is It's sort of the belief, the thought process that, yes, God or a God exists, but he's far off, 
He is very separate from us, and he he set everything up, but now has no real uh, interest in what's going on on the planet that he created. This is also similar to what N.T. Wright, in his book Simply Christian, calls option number two. And N.T. Wright says that a very popular belief about how God works is that God's space and our space are a long way from one another. God's space and our space are a long way from one another. So you see there's a separation, there's a disconnect between creator and the created. And if we know anything about Scripture, if you've ever read Scripture, you know that God is not some far-off God, but that He's intimately involved in what we do and what we want. Let's go on. Watches over this little phrase that he watches over life on earth. This is a passive activity like bird watching, like watching a child play uh, a sport. You are doing something. It is an activity, but it's a passive activity. And God is not passive when it comes to him observing us and being involved in our life. The reality is that God is not passively watching us go about our business and do our life. He is actively involved in everything that we do. The reality is that God is not passively watching us go about our business. He is actively watching us, and He is actively involved in everything that's going on. In fact, He's so involved that He sent Jesus into the world, and Jesus is God, so God came into the world to connect heaven and earth, to separate the sort of gulf, the division that separated man from God, and Jesus shows up to to pierce through that and to, to combine that and to unite us back to God. And God sent the Holy Spirit, which is God, to live inside of us. So yes, God did create and order the world, but it's much more complex than just some God creating the world. We know that big G God created the world, and that means that he is not, uh, he's not just watching us. He's not just waiting for us to do things. He's involved. And the reason why this matters is that if you believe in a small g God, if you believe that God is far off and not involved, it can create two attitudes in your life. The first attitude is an attitude of indifference. If God is not nearby, if he does not care, then I don't care either. Number two is hypermoralism. And that simply means that that there might be secret blessings to be had. You might be able to get God's attention if you live good enough. Both of those attitudes are destructive and don't fit into what it means to actually be Christian. So that's the first almost Christian belief. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. First of all, yes, God wants people to be good. He wants you to treat people with kindness and with, with, with generosity and with love. That's great, but that's such a simplistic understanding of what it means to be alive, what it means to be following Christ. Again, this is this is an almost Christian statement. An attitude like that, an attitude that simply rests on good behavior, will not produce lasting change in individuals or in communities. Basically meaning that if you are a good person and you treat people the right way, it might be helpful, it might be nice, it might make your life and others' lives a little bit better, but it won't produce an inward change in who that person is or in who you are. The same uh, it scales up, right? So if a group gets together and they want to do really nice things and do really awesome things for their community and for people in their community, it might help, but it's only like putting a Band-Aid on the problems that really exist below the surface of humanity. The second thing uh, with this sort of belief is that 
the Bible is not a book of morality, meaning it's not a rule book by itself. In fact, good morality is peripheral to what Scripture, to what the Bible, to what Christianity is actually all about. Good behavior and niceness and kindness and love is a result of the main purpose and point of Christianity. I'll get to that in a second, but let's move on to a sort of another point. Other religions have similar moral standards. This is true. In fact, most cultures have very deep connections to what is right and to what is wrong. Uh, this can become warped and twisted, of course, depending on how old a culture is, what's going on in that culture, and things can happen that can change um, sort of the normal beliefs that happen if you just leave people alone in existence. But all throughout history, through all cultures, it seems like there is some sort of connection between right and wrong that we understand on a very basic level. So murder is wrong, stealing is wrong, um, um, mistreating people in certain ways. We, we understand sort of that there's an injustice there. We get it. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he calls it the universal moral law, which in simple terms, and let me make sure I, I, I really explain this, in simple terms means that there is a string of similar beliefs, of similar views of right and wrong, that is strung through all of humanity throughout all of history. It doesn't mean they're Christian beliefs. It simply means that they are similar beliefs which do sort of fit into Christianity and into other religions. And that, that means something. That means something. If this is the case, then of course other religions will have developed that have similar moral beliefs as Christianity. But the fact is that doesn't matter to the argument about what Christianity is all about because Christianity is not about morality that's a side effect of what Christianity is about. Christianity is all about relationships, broken relationships, and restored relationships. Life was made by God. Existence was made by God. A portion of his creation, humanity, uh, deviated from the creator and created sin. And because God is perfect, he's holy, he's set apart, he can't have sin in his life. And so creation was separated from the creator. And so Scripture and the Bible and Christianity is all about God setting things right, restoring relationships so that the creator can be reconnected to the createe. Does that make sense? I hope it does. And so the Christian story is the story of God restoring relationship, not about God telling us how to live our lives. How we live our lives after the restoration is where we get good behavior. It's where things start changing and shifting in our lives so that we're no longer doing things we know we shouldn't do. So we, we're no longer treating people um, bad, but we're treating people kindly because that's part of who we are, part of who we were made to be, not just because it earns us some reward or it's just some random thing that we think we should do. Kindness, love, niceness, treating people the right way is much more than just behaviors by itself. It is a side effect of who we were made to be, and it's only fully restored whenever we are connected back in relationship to Jesus. I hope that makes sense for you. You're not nice to people because it gets you closer to God. You're nice because that's who God made you to be. That's who he restored you to be when he reconnected the relationship. All right, the next sort of phrase, the almost Christian phrase, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about one's self. Okay, this is incredibly popular, uh, especially in the Western world, in America. 
We want all things to work out for us. We want good stuff. We want good lives. We want good things. We want peace. We want, we want, we want, we want. And I only want to talk about one problem from this belief and attitude. What happens if your happiness and what makes you happy is only attained through the misfortune and through sort of the pushing over of people around you, your happiness is only created from pain and injustice in others. So this is a contradiction of belief. We just talked about how a popular belief is that you're supposed to be nice and kind to others, but what if your niceness and kindness prevents you from having the kindness and happiness and love that you think you deserve? What if the stuff that you want that you think will make you happy is produced in a sweatshop around the world in a place where people are being mistreated and being improperly compensated for their work? What if the college degree that you want that's going to make you happy and give you the life that you want, what if you getting into that college, especially if it's closed enrollment, means that someone else doesn't get in, in which case your happiness and your joy is in direct relationship to the unhappiness and the, and the pain of rejection in someone else's life. This belief creates problems because it doesn't match up with other beliefs that are popular in our lives. And so what ends up happening is that we choose one over the other. We choose what we want over the desire to be kind to others, and it creates problems. People will forget kindness in order to get happiness. Next phrase, God is not involved in my life except when I need God to resolve a problem. God is not involved in my life except when I need God to resolve a problem. You see this a good bit around if you just open your eyes, and even Christians struggle with this, of course. But many of the same problems that we talked about with the first statement apply here. Deism, option number two from uh, Simply Christian, sort of God is far off and separate from his creation. But on top of that, uh, I will add that this sort of God, little g God, sounds more like 911 or Santa Claus. And that's simply not what Christianity is about. Again, Christianity is about restored relationship with God. And, and God is not some Amazon fulfillment service. Okay, our last phrase, good people go to heaven when they die. Good people go to heaven when they die. I want to, I want to be uh, very careful with this because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. If you're listening to this, it's almost guaranteed that you have experienced loss in your life. And loss takes many different shapes and, and forms, whether it be through tragedy, uh, natural causes. Uh, there are unfortunately suicides and, and there's all sorts of pain of loss and death. And so before I even jump into the basics of this, I want to make sure you understand and know that what I'm trying to say is simply boiled down to this statement. Don't let your pain, don't let your grief distract you from the hope found in the gospel. Don't create your own hope. Believe in the hope that's already presented. So what ends up happening a lot of times with people who are Christian and even a lot of times not Christian is that we have created a moralism based on making sure that we can cope with the threat of eternity. Meaning we change what we believe, we, we, we create what we believe in order to make sure that we have peace about what might be or what might not be on the other side of this thing called life. We will change our beliefs to make us feel better about our lost loved ones and our own morality. And, and so I include morality in this because it's connected to being a good person. And, and, and being a good person means that you should get some sort of reward. Unfortunately, again, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity 
is about the fact that you can't be good enough to get any sort of reward. I don't, I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how much you get right. There will be too much that you get wrong. And so you have to be incredibly careful about thinking that your morality is good enough because it simply isn't. We overestimate our own morality and our own goodness and underestimate God's morality and his goodness. His goodness is so much so that even the best of us are like filthy rags compared to him. And so unfortunately, whenever we see people die that are good, we can't imagine that they might go to hell because we have made God into some sort of like earning system. They were good, so they deserve this. We all deserve death, no matter how good we were. So Christianity is about relationship, which means if you don't restore relationship to Jesus, you're not going to be who Jesus needs you to be, and that might mean you miss out on something. And so I simply want to stress to you that Jesus is the only way to secure eternal life. And so don't don't wait to tell someone about Jesus. Don't wait to share Christianity with Jesus because even if they're a good person, it might mean that they might miss the boat. I don't know. I don't know how God is going to judge everything. I only have what Scripture tells us. And so I just want us all to be very careful about what we do with our very human fears about what is next because eternity can be scary. But don't let the fear of eternity keep you from believing in the hope of Scripture that, that, that eternity will be good, that your loved ones can be saved, that your loved ones aren't going to be turned into angels, but your loved ones are going to be going somewhere where they're going to be taken care of, where they will be restored to who they were meant to be from the very beginning of time. So be very careful with how you change whenever you're facing grief and pain and death. Rely on the hope, the true hope of the gospel, and don't make up your own gospel that simply makes you feel better. I hope that makes sense. I hope it doesn't offend anyone. That's all the phrases that, that I have. Again, these are almost Christian phrases, very popular phrases, ways of thinking, ways of believing about life, about God, about existence. Let's review very, very, very quickly. A God exists who created and orders the world and watches over life on earth. Again, sounds close to the right thing, but just know that it's a big G God, Yahweh, Jehovah, that we can know something about. And that he's not far off, that he's not ignoring us, he's not just watching us, but he's involved in what's going on. God wants people to be good, nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Yes, there is such a thing, as, as C.S. Lewis calls it, universal moral law. And because of that, sometimes religions are developed that have very similar moral beliefs and moral standards. And in fact, to me, that's a sign that God exists and that God is responsible for creating man in one way, shape, or, or another. But being good is not the end-all, be-all of what it means to be saved. The Bible is not a book of morality. The Bible is a story about God restoring relationship back to man so that we can be who he needs us to be. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. That doesn't work. That's not a way to build life. That's not a way to judge life. So sometimes your happiness comes from someone else's pain and displeasure. And so it, it creates disunity in what some people believe, even though they don't realize it, because people will choose happiness over kindness any time, any day of the week. God is not involved in my life except when I need God to resolve a problem. Again, this is a sort of a form of deism. But I just want to say God is not Santa. He's not 911. 
He's not Amazon. God wants relationship, not just to give you what you want. And good people go to heaven when they die. I want everyone to go to heaven, but from Scripture, we understand that that's not how things work. And God is complex, and He's full of grace, and He's full of mercy, and He's full of love, but He has set out standards in the Bible about what it means to not be reconnected to God. It it is hell not to be connected to God. And and so, not through good works, not through being nice can you be saved, but only through Jesus Christ can you be saved, and thus have the hope that's offered to you in Scripture about eternity, about heaven, about paradise. So have the right belief and don't let your fear of what you don't know change what you do know. And that's it for this um, podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you can get something from it. Again, rate and review and subscribe to this and let me know how I'm doing. God bless you guys. I'll see you next time.